0: Amen. Put on men as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We continue our series this morning, A Spiritual EKG, and we're going to talk today about this heart that we have, this heart that beats with the Father's desires, with the Father's love, and we're going to bring this into the issue, issue today of forgiveness and look at our heart in regards to where does it stand when it comes to Forgiveness. Um, We're going to start with a story and I've told this story several times but it's a great framework for this story or this message today. And There's there's a slight element I want to add to the story this morning but it's the story again of the Garden of Eden and God puts two trees in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and uh, told to freely eat from the tree of life but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to avoid. And um, that tree, we, we can... Give those trees different names to relate to them. The tree of life versus the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of relationship versus the tree of rules. The tree of righteousness versus the tree of right and wrong. The tree of the spirit versus the tree of the flesh. And we can relate to this. And what is so brilliant about this, and this is what God did that is just so brilliant. In the very first pages of the scripture, he gave us the formula for how to approach life how to successfully live an abundant life. He told us, right, chapter three, chapter one, two, and three, here it is. This is what it is. It's which tree will you choose to live your life from. Now, here's the thing that I want to kind of add to this today to just make us think is that this tree of life that tree actually was the very identity of Adam and Eve. That's who they were. They were created with God's DNA, in God's image, perfect, sinless, holy. And so this tree of life, that was, that's, that's what they naturally desired. That's who they were. They didn't desire the other tree. They didn't desire the tree of right and wrong or the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the question is, how did they end up eating off of it? That's really the question. If this is their desire and their identity, how do they end up over at the other tree? Well, let's read the text and we'll see why. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. of that decision here's the thing again Adam and Eve the Bible's pretty clear that Adam and Eve they're not the ones who inquired about this tree they didn't seem to have any desire for the tree in fact it actually says well well, Eve kind of some people think Eve adds to God's uh, God's uh, command when he she says you shall not touch the tree or you'll die because the Bible doesn't say that God said that but but the point is it seems like they're kind of scared of this tree they're, they're kind of afraid of this tree. They're kind of like, okay, hey, we can't even touch the thing, so yeah. So the desire for the forbidden fruit came from outside of them. It came from the enemy. It came from Satan. That's what is so significant about this story. And we need to relate to that because we're going to see how that is so close to you and I today. So here's the deal. One day Eve's in the garden and, and the serpent calls out, Hey! Hey, 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 time out. Did you see the fruit on this tree over here? Eve responds and she explains the situation and, and Satan's like, hey, you better look again. Look at this fruit. It'll make you wise. It'll make you like God. It'll be like fruit you have never tasted before. Now, it doesn't actually say that, but it's pretty much implied that, hey, there's some fruit on this tree you're really missing out on. And so the key words there is when it said, so when? When? So when Eve looked at that tree and thought, oh, yeah, that fruit does look pretty good. It will make me wise. Well, that's when all the trouble began. The trouble began when Eve and when Adam, when they stopped listening to their heart and believed the lies. Because they had a heart. They had God's heart. They had God's desires. They they, they had the identity of God within them. They didn't desire this tree except Satan enticed them to it. And pretty soon, the tree that was off limits started to look good, and they wanted it. Not because they wanted it, but because Satan made them think they wanted it. That's the key. Now, what happens, of course, is that Adam and Eve plunge the entire world, themselves and the entire world, plunge themselves under the curse of sin. And they acquire a corrupted heart. And so it's, it's really key to understand here what happens because the heart that once beat with God's desires, that wanted God, now beats to a different drum. The heart that used to fellowship with God in the cool of the day is now hiding in the shadows, afraid of God. The heart that had no idea what sin was is now deceitful above all things. So here's how God goes on to describe for us this corrupted heart that we, inquire, that we acquired here in the Old Testament. In the days of Noah, it says this, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was, evil, was only evil continually. And the Lord God regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And this is a great verse because it shows us the contrast between God's heart, which was grieved by the the corrupted heart, grieved by sin, and now our heart, which it just naturally is inclined to sin. There's also the corrupted heart in Jeremiah 17. This is the verse that. So many know so well, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? A different translation says the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem we have today, though, is that this describes the corrupted heart of the person who's in Adam, the person who is dead in their sins. But when you come to Christ, God takes this heart away from you and gives you a brand new heart. He gives you a heart that's just like the heart Adam and Eve had in the garden, that that, that beats with his desires, that wants what he wants. Now, we don't think that. We, We haven't really been taught that, I don't think, very well. But that is the truth. So now, think about the hearts that are described for us, for the person who comes to Christ. There is, For instance, there's the new covenant heart. So the Jews got the covenant from the Lord, right? And they had the covenant of law in the Old Testament and then God made them a promise that one day he would send Christ to come and die on the cross and he would start a new covenant, not of law, but a new covenant of grace. And here's how he describes their heart. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what he promised them. One day Christ would come die on the cross and when they were right, made right with God and when they were in Christ, then they would have this reality. In fact, this is a beautiful verse. Never caught this until this week. This, see, here's the point, is that Paul himself says he is a minister of the new covenant. So we're in this age of grace that is based on the cross and based on basically the new covenant. And, and here's what is so beautiful. I've never saw this. He, he tells them three things in here. He will give them a new heart. He will give them a new spirit and he will give them his Holy Spirit. All three are in there. A new heart. He, he takes our spirit today. What does he do today? He gives us a new heart, and then he takes our spirit, and he makes our spirit alive. He quickens our spirit that was dead, and we are now alive. And now our spirit can what? Bear witness with his Holy Spirit because he gives us his Holy Spirit. And I never quite understood this, and I'm really getting this now in this last few years, how, yes, I have my spirit. I'm me, but I have the Holy Spirit And Romans 8 says that his spirit bears witness with my spirit and and continually reaffirms who I am in Christ and all that I have. So that's the new covenant heart. And then there's the new creation heart. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are brand new creations. We've been born again to new life, and we have been given new hearts, a new spirit and his spirit. In fact, last week we saw our heart described this way by Paul, which is so radically different than any of us would ever contend or ever ever believe. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. These wicked, deceitful, incurable hearts. God did heart surgery on them, gave us a heart transplant, gave us a new heart, gave us his heart and now we have hearts that actually want to obey him. We actually want to obey him. And I know what you're saying, you're like, you just don't know my heart. You just don't know my heart. Let me tell you, I know what the scriptures say. And the question is, we can listen to our feelings, we can believe the lies of the enemy, or we can believe what scriptures tell us. You've been given a brand new heart that wants to obey God. Here's our big idea today. The problem is not being lied to. By the enemy and the flesh, it is listening to the lies of the enemy and the flesh. Let me just tell you, you're going to be lied to. That's not the the issue is not being lied to. It's whether or not we listen to those. Lies. So let's take our new heart today. Let's take all we've just looked at and let's bring this issue of forgiveness in. How does this relate to the issue of forgiveness? And what a practical issue that we struggle with, right? In all of our relationships. Every day we deal with this issue of forgiveness. Let's get a definition first. Here's a good definition for forgiveness. Releasing someone from a wrong. Releasing them from a hurt they are responsible for and from anything they may owe you. Whatever they've done to you, whatever they owe you, you say, it's okay, I forgive you. You don't owe me anything. It's choosing not to hold something against someone. Forgiveness. And that's what Christ does for us of the cross, right? He takes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He takes them infinitely away from us. They're just gone. They just don't exist anymore. He forgives us. And that's the reality. Now I get it. Forgiveness is tough, and some things are easy to forgive, some things are small, and then some issues are really deep scars. Sometimes the pain is minimal, sometimes the hurt is great. I understand, but I'm just going to show you today how we deal with our our pain and our hurt and how we can learn to forgive. Colossians 3.14, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So, There's that phrase, we must forgive because Christ has forgiven us. So, well, how do I do that? How do we forgive like Jesus? Colossians chapter 3, and we read verses 13 and 14 earlier at the start, and we just read it there again. We're going to work our way down to verses 13 and 14, starting in verse 1. How do we forgive like Jesus? Let's read the first four verses. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How do we forgive like Jesus? Number one, forgiveness is a decision of the heart that starts in the mind. It's a decision of our heart, but it starts in our mind. And he says, set your mind on things that are above which would be what? The, the tree of the spirit, the tree of life. Don't set your mind on things that are on the earth. The tree of right and wrong. The tree of good and evil. Where? And we talked about this last spring. Really the key is, that's is our struggle in life. It's where we set our minds. Do I set my mind on the spirit? Do I set my mind on the flesh? When I'm tempted... When sin comes and attacks me from the, in, from the outside in, when, when sin comes as an outside force, when the enemy lies to me, when the flesh entices me, is my mind set on the spirit of the flesh? Uh, that's the question. Set your mind on the spirit and not on flesh. The flesh. Ephesians chapter 4 is the parallel passage to what we're looking at today. It's, a, it's, it's kind of very similar to the verses we're reading. Let's look at Ephesians 4 a minute. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Now that you're saved, Paul says that's not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, the person you used to be, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the righteousness and holiness. So how do I put off my old man and the person I used to be? And how do I live like the person I am now in Christ? How do I do that? Being renewed in the spirit of your minds. It's where do you set your mind? Get your mind off of the flesh. The old self. The flesh, that's not who you are. What is the flesh, by the way, just for a a word of thought going forward this morning? Again, the flesh are the philosophies and ideals of this world. The flesh is any self submission or self-promotion apart from Christ. The flesh is the habitual thought patterns and practices of the old man. The The flesh is the person we were before we were saved. The thought patterns that belong to my former manner of life, as one person said the flesh is that old stinking thinking. That's a great way to say it. I like that. It's, it's the old stinking thinking. You know, I've, we've all got these thoughts in our head and we used to think a certain way and respond a certain way and it's just who we were before Christ and now we're in Christ. Now we're saved. It's like, yeah, don't think that way anymore. Set your mind on the Spirit. Renew your thinking. And how do we re- renew our thinking? With God's Word, through prayer, through worship music, by getting together on Sunday morning. That's why we need to be here. Because we renew our mind when we're with each other. We sharpen our minds. So that's the reality. All of this happens, this renewal happens at the tree of life, not at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of right and wrong. And In fact, how obvious is this? The last place you want to be if you've been wronged, right, is at the tree of right and wrong. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're just going to sit there and focus and flesh and the ambulance is going to say, you were wrong, you were wrong, you were wrong. Go to the the tree of the Spirit if you want to find forgiveness. So that's the first thing. Um, Set your mind on the Spirit, not the flesh. And then be alert to the lies. It's truth versus lies. It's Spirit and flesh, but it's truth and lies. And be alert to the lies of Satan and the flesh. And I want us to see how our situation is so similar to Adam and Eve before they sinned. Because Adam and Eve, there was this tree in the garden, and that was who they were. That's what they instinctively wanted. And today, we have been born again. We're new creations in Christ. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us a new heart. We instinctively, we may not believe this, but we instinctively, that's what we want. We want what he wants. And so when, when we, like Adam and Eve, go to the tree of the flesh and eat the forbidden fruit and live contrary to who we are, why is that? Well, again, we are enticed away by an outside force. It is Satan. And Satan, we, we know Satan what he, he is a liar. that's his nature. Anytime Satan's opens his mouth, he's probably lying. And then our flesh, our flesh lies to us, too. It's just those, those habitual patterns that we've developed, and we just now there are several common lies we could use as an example. Let me give you three that are all kind of related. Here's one lie we often hear from the enemy. It's, it's "I deserve this." You know i deserve this i mean think about it i deserve to get revenge i deserve to pass on that gossip i deserve you know what if i just you hear this voice that comes along and says you know if you just fudge a few numbers you can save a thousand dollars on your taxes and you're like you know what the government's always ripping us off i deserve that thousand dollars it gets really bad sometimes. It's like, you know what? You hear that voice and you're like, you know, you're not being treated fair at home and your spouse ain't treating you right. and You deserve to have that affair. And we hear these voices, I deserve this. And we listen to those lies and we're led away from the Spirit. We're led away to the flesh. And so that's one common lie we hear. I deserve this. And let me let me just say, you know, um, well, never mind. Lie number two that comes up in a minute. Lie number two. Here's the second common lie: is I don't deserve this. We've all been there. Again, we're treated unjustly. We're hurt. We're wronged. And what happens? We hear this voice cry out to us: It's Satan or it's the flesh. Hey, do you know what they just said about you? Hey, do you know what they just did to you? I mean, really? Hey, you should be offended. Are you going to let them talk to you that way? Are you going to let them treat you that way? And again, just realize the problem is not being lied to by the enemy and the flesh. That's who Satan is. That's what our flesh does. It lies to us. It is listening to the lies of the enemy and the flesh. That's the key. We need to keep that in mind. Don't listen to the enemy. Don't listen to Satan. Don't give them any weight. Consider this, Jesus was tempted like you and I were when he was on the earth, right? And I'm sure he was lied to as well. He was lied to? Sure Satan lied to, to Jesus and Jesus had to not give his lies any weight. Hey, can you believe those inept disciples? You deserve better disciples. Or hey, can you believe those religious zealots, what they said about you? You don't deserve to be treated that way. Hey, can you believe what your father is putting you through? I mean, come on. What's dad doing? Or hey, I mean, come on. Just look at all these losers you're dying for. I mean, really, come on. And so we hear these lies. I don't deserve this. And We buy into that lie too often. We buy into that lie way too often. Let me just say... That sometimes when we hear this from the enemy, while it might be true, it's still a lie. I mean, yeah, the enemy says, hey, you don't deserve to be treated that way. Well, yeah, maybe I don't, but it's still a lie because it's not what I want. And I will just contend that Jesus, when he was lied to by the enemy, he just stayed true to his heart because he and the Father shared the same desires, wanted the same thing. What was that? To reconcile with a lost world. That's why he came to earth. That's where his heart was. That's who he was. And I'll just contend that we have hearts that are in tune with the Father. Lie number three goes like this. You do deserve this. Or they deserve this. And this is just the the lie that that justifies my holding that grudge or withholding forgiveness or being angry or whatever it is. Because you know what? You wronged me and you deserve this. And it can be as simple as just some silence. Or it can be as strong as some aggressive language back at them. How dare you treat me that way? I'll show you. I will show you. And we set out to find our revenge. Now let, let me get it. I understand it, we're emotional beings. God created us as emotional beings. We're going to feel things. that's OK. We're allowed to feel things, and we're allowed to process the pain. When Jesus was on Earth. Do you think the night that Jesus was, was on Earth, and then he was, he was arrested and uh, he's being hauled away to be crucified, and Peter is there, and they make eye contact, and Peter denied Jesus that night. Do you think Jesus didn't feel bad when he was denied by Peter? Sure. It was crushing. It hurt him, but you know what I think helped Jesus is that Jesus was able to look at things through the eyes of Peter, and he had a, he had Peter's vantage point, and he kind of understood, I understand what Peter's doing. I understand why Peter's doing this. Oh, it hurts, but I understand that Peter doesn't understand, and when we we look at things through somebody else's eye, maybe we can process what they've the wrong they've done to us a little better. It also helped Jesus because well. Dad kind of told him, hey, this is going to happen. Holy Spirit kind of said, hey, Peter's going to deny you tonight. So he had, he had some advanced warning, right? So that kind of helped him. Let me tell you, what did Paul, in the passage today, we'll see it later on. It said, uh, it says, bear with one another. In other words, God's saying, hey, you know what? Just just some advance notice. You're going to need to bear with each other. People are going to wrong you. And again, and again, and again. So just, just be prepared. We've got advanced warning When we're wrong, when we're hurt, don't be shocked. Look at things through the eyes of the other person and just realize that forgiveness is a decision of the heart that starts in the mind. Set your mind on the spirit. So first, set your mind on the Spirit. And then number two, we're going to see today, is you want to focus on Christ, okay? So here's the idea. Focus on your identity before your behavior. What do I mean? Well, this is the same thing. I teach it all the time, just saying it slightly different this morning. And what we're going to see here is a beautiful analogy that will help us understand this, and maybe it will be very transformative for you today. There's a great illustration Paul uses here in this passage to help us understand this, okay? This vital truth. Number one, focus on the Spirit. Get your mind on the Spirit. Number two, focus on Christ and focus on your identity before your behavior. So Colossians 3, 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. And then he says down in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. A lot of translations actually use the word clothes. The Berean Study Bible, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with. So the analogy here is going to be clothes. That our behaviors are going to be like clothes. And we're going to wear certain kinds of clothes. That's where Paul takes us next. And the idea is we want to focus on our identity before we focus on our behavior. What does that mean? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this. We often talk about wearing our Sunday. Remember we talked about in the old days about wearing your Sunday best, you know? You wore your suit and tie to church and you wore your best dress and you, you left those clothes on all day because it was Sunday and you couldn't do anything on Sunday because you had your suit and tie on and that was what you used, right? Well, let me just tell you, we're supposed to wear our Sunday best every single day. We're not supposed to put them on on Sunday and be somebody on Sunday and somebody different on Monday. No, put on your Sunday best every single day. That's what Paul's going to tell us here in these next uh, seven, eight, nine verses going forward. Okay? He's going to tell us that we can actually wear new creation clothes. Now understand in this, in this whole illustration here, this is what we wear is not who we are. It's what we wear. Okay? It's not who we are, it's what we wear. And so clothes are the equivalent of our behavior. Let's walk through this verse by verse, okay? This is the analogy of clothes equal behaviors. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Basically, uh, you know what, those old clothes, burn them. Get those old clothes out of the house, burn them. You got a favorite shirt you just love to wear, you you wear it all the time, well, you're in Christ now, Burn that old shirt. Get rid of those old clothes. Verse 6, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. This is just basically telling us how God feels about our old wardrobe and our old clothes. God hates sin. He hates those old behaviors. You're in Christ now, so behave differently. Act like you are now in Christ. God hates sin, and one day he'll deal with sin for all those unbelievers. Verse 7, in, the, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. Basically, these are speaking about, you know, the clothes we used to wear before we were saved. Again, these are the clothes. Before I was saved, before I knew Christ, I wore these certain clothes, and I had these certain outfits, and I, I love to put them on, and that's who, you know. And, but I'm not that person anymore, so now I need to dress differently. Verse 8, but now you must put, on, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obedience talk from your mouth. Again, same thing. Burn those old clothes, Get them out of the closet, get rid of them. You ever watch that show on TV? Uh, what, what's, what's that show where they would go in and they would uh, go through somebody's wardrobe and, and they would get all, throw all their old clothes out and buy them all new clothes? Remember that show? Anybody seen that? It's a show on TV. I can't remember what it's called. What You Wear or something? Yeah, what not to wear. And it would be pretty funny sometimes. There would be some pretty atrocious outfits they would have. And Well he's saying hey, these clothes don't match you anymore. Burn those old clothes. Verse 9, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This is speaking of our new nature. Notice the verb tense here. You have done something. You have This isn't talking about what I'm putting on every day and what I'm wearing every day in the present tense. It's what I have done. I have become saved. I have become redeemed. I am a new creation. So this is my new nature. This is who I am now. I've put on the new self. I'm a new creation in Christ. It says in verse 11. Here there is neither Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is what? He's all and he's what? He's where? He's in all. Christ is in you. You're in Christ, and Christ is in you, and this is your new nature in Christ. Oh, isn't this good stuff? Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Wear new creation clothes. Wear clothes that fit your new nature. That favorite shirt you used to wear before you were saved. Yeah, you want to get rid of that outfit. You want to get rid of Of those clothes. That's the reality. Verse 10. Now, how do we how do we know the right clothes to wear? So if I'm a new person and I'm supposed to wear new creation clothes, how do I know the right clothes to wear? Verse 10. Going back to verse 10. And you have put on the new self, which is what? Being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Set your mind on the Spirit. Not on the flesh. The flesh is going to tell you, hey, you look good in that, you know, that favorite shirt of yours. Yeah, just keep wearing it. The Holy Spirit's going to say no. No. Dressing properly requires renewing your mind through the scripture, through prayer, through worship music, through meditation on the scriptures. Bible study, being here on Sunday morning, all the things we can do to renew our mind. Do you kind of get what's going on here? He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's our nature. We are holy and beloved, so wear clothes that look like we're holy and beloved. Do you follow a pattern here then? Paul is saying, I have been past tense saved, I have been made a new creation, and I have been given a brand new heart, so now, present tense, now, when I dress myself, I should wear what? I should dress myself in new creation clothes. I should start a, a new design, <laughs> a new line of clothes. That's pretty cool, a new creation clothes. Clothe yourselves with clothes that are holy and reflective of who you are in Christ. And again, we know the right clothes to wear. By not focusing on the, on the flesh, but on the spirit. You can just hear the enemy, right? The enemy's like, boy, that resentment looks really good on you. Or, or man, you look great in that conflict outfit. Or, man, you wear anger and bitterness so well. Or, you know, those evil desires, they look really sexy on you. You know, isn't that griping attitude just so comfortable for lounging around the house? All these old clothes. And the enemy comes along and tells us to wear these clothes. And let's be honest, that is how it works in our life. So we really want to know how to wear the right clothes. Okay? Um, let's go down to verse 13 here then. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And I never planned this going back to Labor Day. It started on Labor Day and in the message, I just said this in the Labor Day message, I am therefore I work. And then the next week, it came up in the message, I am, therefore I go. This is our last series on worship. I am, therefore I go. And then, then we got into the next message, and I said, I am, therefore I sing. And, and last week it is, I am, therefore I obey. And today, what is it? I am, therefore I forgive. Yeah, just wear forgiveness. That's, that's the clothes we're supposed to wear. That's just who I am. And the point is, focus on your identity, focus on who you are, Figure out who you are, know who you are in Christ, and then pick out clothes that match. Find the behaviors that match who you are in Christ. You see, we are called to forgive, but before we're called to forgive, we are called holy. We're called to forgive, but before we're called to forgive, we're called forgiving. We're called to forgive, but before we're called to forgive, we're called the sons and daughters of of the Most High God, our Father. We resemble our Father. You ever seen these pro football players, you know, that are generational and, and this football like Peyton Manning's dad, Archie, played years ago and, and he resembles his dad and plays like his dad and they're both really good and well, that's us with our Father. We have our Father's heart. We resemble our Father. Before we're called to forgive, we're called the sons and daughters of God. So how do we forgive like Jesus? Well, Forgiveness is a decision of the heart that starts in the mind and then we focus on our identity before we focus on our behavior and then number three, focus. Recognize that forgiveness is what you want. Now, what does that mean? Forgiveness is what you want. Well, there's a few ways we can see this but for for one thing, we want to forgive because it's healthy. If you're struggling to forgive someone, let me tell you, you want to forgive them because it's the healthy thing to do. It just is. A teacher once told each of her students to bring a clear plastic bag and a sack of potatoes to school. They were instructed to call to mind every person they had a grudge against. For every person they refused to forgive, they chose a potato, wrote on it the name and date, and put it in the plastic bag. They were told to carry this bag with them everywhere, putting it beside their bed at night, on the car seat when driving, on their lap when riding, next to their desk during classes. Some bags became quite heavy. Lugging this around, paying attention to it all the time, and remembering not to leave it in an embarrassing places was a hassle. Over time, the potatoes became moldy, smelly, and began to sprout eyes. Often we think of forgiveness as a gift to the other person, but it clearly is a gift to ourselves. And the Mayo Clinic will tell us the benefits of forgiving someone, healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, improved self-esteem. Those are the benefits, the effects of holding on to a grudge, bringing anger and bitterness into every relationship and new experience, becoming so wrapped up in the wrong that you can't enjoy the present, becoming depressed or anxious, feeling that your life lacks meaning or purpose or that you're at odds with your spiritual beliefs, lose valuable and enriching connectedness with others. This is the Mayo Clinic. This is a secular organization telling us it's beneficial to forgive. It's good for your health to forgive. So you want to forgive because it's healthy. It just is. It's the healthy thing to do. But then we also want to forgive because, you know what? Other relationships. Do you, you know who, who hurts you the most? Who hurts who hurt you the deepest? Anybody? The people who, what? Closest to us. The people that are the closest to us are the ones that hurt us the most. So yeah, if they're that close to us, we want to reconcile. We want to make up. We We want to forgive them and restore the relate because we really care about them and so because of the relationships those are the people that are going to hurt us the most the people we don't care about they don't hurt us that deeply they really don't we just we can blow off what they've done to us in no time considering that here are five quick ways let me give you five quick words so you can forgive these people that are closest to you, like Jesus did, okay? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Here's five ways. How do we forgive like Jesus? Well, he forgave us obediently. We saw this last week. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He cried out to the Father, and he was heard because of his relevance. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And why did he suffer? To forgive with you, to forgive you and I. And so he learned obedience. See he, he, he was obedient when it came to the issue of forgiveness. Another way, willfully, just understand this morning that forgiveness is not a feeling. You don't have to feel a certain way to forgive somebody. You don't have to wait till you feel a certain way. You don't have to wait until the hurt is gone to forgive somebody. You don't. Forgiveness is not a feeling. And it's funny because some modern uh, definitions of forgiveness will say it's a feeling, but it's not a feeling. It's really not. And forgiveness, at the same time, does not necessarily produce a feeling. If I forgive you, I'm not going to automatically maybe feel differently about the hurt. But I will say this, that I think you tend to heal a little quicker when you forgive somebody when you forgive somebody. So forgiveness is not a feeling. It is, forgiveness is also not forgetting. It's not, it's not a feeling and it's not forgetting. It's not that I forget what was done to me or, or the wrong that was done to me or the hurt that was done to me. What I do is I choose to release you from anything you may owe me. You hurt me and you owe me but I release you. You may even owe me an apology, and I release you from that apology. You know what that tells us? You can forgive somebody even if they don't say they're sorry to you. You can forgive them on your end. Jesus forgave obediently, and he forgave willfully, and he also forgave. He also forgave completely. I think this is pretty significant. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. And the reality is, it's just one sacrifice of Christ. End of the whole sacrificial system. One sacrifice for Christ forgave you for all of your sins. You are totally forgiven. One time, one sacrifice for Christ, he forgave you completely. And in our relationships, you know, when we forgive somebody, let's forgive them completely. If we forgive them for something, it's done. I heard a a great story the other day. A pastor had a couple come in, and they were really, this couple was really at odds. And they they both, you know, she had a thousand things he had done wrong, and everything that he had done wrong was her fault. And they were back and forth at each other, and it was really, really bad. And so he had them write down on a piece of paper, each of them write down all the wrongs that had been done to them by the other person. And they wrote him down and then he took him into the bathroom, into the men's bathroom and they stood over this, this toilet and he said, okay, I want you to take those, I want you to throw them in the, to- in the toilet. And they kind of stood there for a while. The, the guy threw his in pretty quick. He said the wife kind of stood there a little longer. He thought she might have had a, an, a, another piece of paper she was hiding in her pocket. Eventually they threw him in the paper and then he said, okay, I want you to flush the toilet. They knew what was going on. They understood what was going on. I want you to flush the toilet. And they both stood there for a while. He said, Yeah, you got to. It's, it's the old kind of toilet. You got to flush it by hand. It don't, no sensors here. You got to flush it by hand. And eventually they flushed it. And he said, Okay, those wrongs are forgiven, they're gone you can never bring them back if you want to bring those things back up you got to come back to this toilet and you got to dig them out and he said how crazy would it be if they got done with their counseling session and they went out to the car and then the wife said oh wait i got to run i forgot something inside and she ran back into that bathroom and stuck her hand in, in that toilet and i got to find these grievances i can't let them go yes you can let you let them go and the good news is you really want to let them go because of the relationship because it's healthy you want to let them go. And so Christ forgave us completely and never held those things against us again. And then he forgave us impartially. And this simply means that, you know what, there are no, sin is sin to God. There's no big, I understand in consequences there's big sins and small sins. There's big wrongs and small wrongs. There's deep scars and there's minor wounds. I get it. But as far as forgiveness and as far as sin and as far as the cross goes, Christ forgave everybody at the cross equally. From the smallest of sin to the greatest of sin, impartially, impartial forgiveness, he didn't sit there and say, some sins are going to require a little more blood. Some, some sins are going to require me to die a second time. No, didn't matter. He died once for all, for every single sin. And then finally, here's the last way Jesus died for us. And this might, this might rock your world this morning, but here it is. Jesus died for us joyfully. We find it in Hebrews chapter 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin, every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy on the other side of the cross? Was it heaven? Hey, after the cross, I get to ascend to the Father. (laughs) Well, no, he was already there. He was already with the Father. He left the Father. What was the joy on the other side of the cross? You and me and reconciliation and redemption and the restoration of the relationship. See, it was worth, he wanted to die. Why? Because the relationships were worth it and he went to the cross, and he went to the cross joyfully. You know, Jesus, we talked earlier about that lie, I don't deserve this. You know what Jesus never said in his earthly ministry? I don't think you can find it. I don't think he ever in his earthly ministry ever said, Dad, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Why did I come to earth? for?" Yes, he prayed in the garden, Lord, this is gonna be painful. This is gonna be hard. Is there another way? But he never put it on us. And never said we weren't worth it and that he didn't deserve it. And he went to the cross and he died for us joyfully. In fact, it says this in Psalms 86.5, For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant loving kindness to all who call up on you. So we want to forgive. See, this is the point. We want to forgive because it's healthy. We want to forgive because of the relationships. But let me just tell you one more thing, right? And and here it is again, right? How do we forgive like Jesus? Forgiveness is a decision of the heart that starts in the mind, okay? And we focus on our identity before our behavior. And then we realize forgiveness is what we want because it's what? It's healthy because of the relationships. And you know what? We want to forgive because we want to forgive. That is who we are. We have our Father's heart. We desire to forgive people. It is a joy to forgive people when they have wronged us. I know we look at forgiveness as a burden, as a chore, as a responsibility. It's, it shouldn't be. For you, O oh Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call on you. Psalm 146, 5, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Yes, those verses all describe who. God the Father. They describe the heart of God the Father. And who has the heart of God the Father? You and me. We we want to forgive because we want to forgive. Now I know what you're thinking and saying. Let me just close with this. You're sitting there saying, you just don't know me. I, I don't want to forgive. I know this person and I don't want to forgive them. I mean, I don't have the desire to forgive that person. I really don't. You, you, you know why? You know why you don't have the desire or you think you don't have the desire to forgive them? See, the issue is not being lied to. It's when we listen to the lies. And if you think you don't have a forgiving heart and if you think you can't forgive a certain person, it's because you're listening to the lies. You're not listening to the scriptures who say you have... A new creation heart. You have an obedient heart. You have a heart that beats with God's desires. That is the reality. I think back here to this line again. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And I wonder what part of the sentence we, we emphasize there. Do we emphasize, so you must forgive. You also must forgive. It's like we must forgive. It's like this burden. It's like this weight on me that I have to forgive, it's my responsibility, because Christ forgave me, I have to forgive, or could it be that God is saying, you know what, in your life you need to forgive, you just need to forgive, and you know you need to forgive, and so when you forgive, if you want to forgive successfully and wholly, and you must forgive like I forgave. And I'll teach you how to forgive. See, God is a compassionate God. When we're hurting, he doesn't come along and say, hey, you gotta forgive that person because I forgave you. That's not what God does. God comes along and says, I know you're hurting. And I I tell you what, you know what? You just need to forgive them, And I will teach you how. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, that you have forgiven us once and for all for every wrong we'll ever commit at the cross. You forgave us completely. And thank you that you forgave us joyfully, that you wanted a relationship with us that desperately, that you were willing to die for us on the cross. Lord, help us understand that we have new hearts, that we have obedient hearts, that we have hearts that actually desire to forgive the people around us. And that if we can just focus on the Spirit, if we can just, you know, focus on our identity in Christ, we can just focus on you, we can realize that we really want to forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.